Well, some of the scariest words in the whole Bible have to be the words that are spoken by Jesus himself to those who think that they were his followers. He gathers everyone together on the last day and they stand before him in judgment. And there are many, he says, many who will come to him believing they were followers of Jesus, but hearing from him, away from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He says himself, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And and in your name we cast out demons, and in your name we performed many miracles. And yet, though they had done great things in his name, his response to some is, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you believe that there are Supposed followers of Jesus who have deceived themselves. A scary thought, really, to think about. Can you imagine a megachurch pastor, someone who started a church with 30 people and through his tireless work over years and years and years built that church up to thousands and thousands of Christ followers. And then he goes before Jesus in judgment himself and hears, I know many of your followers, but who are you? You were building that for yourself, not for me. Can you imagine if some of the people sitting next to you who would say to the Lord, Lord, look, we started Bible studies in your name. We built VBSs for you, Lord. We built a building, Lord. And can you imagine him saying in return, no, you thought you were doing that for me, but you weren't doing it for me. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I don't know about you, but that scares me. And the scariest thing about that is not that people like that exist, people who have deceived themselves into thinking they're followers of Jesus. And the scariest thing is not even the terrible fate that awaits them. To me, the scariest thing about that is that I could be one of them. Because if I had deceived myself, I wouldn't know it, right? That's the nature of deceiving yourself. And for you, the scariest thing about people like that ought to be that you could be one of them. Because if you were, if you had deceived yourself into thinking that you were a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't know it. That's the nature of deceiving yourself. Now let me ask you something. If you were one of those people, if you're one of those who had been deceived into thinking you were one of Jesus' followers, would you want to know today... Or would you rather continue to live in a feeling of security and comfort and not find out until the last day? Well, I would want to know today. I would want to be terrified today and change today while there is still time. And I ask that because it's possible to deceive yourself. I could be deceiving myself. You could be deceiving yourself. And it's even possible to deceive the people next to you. And so that means that no amount of confidence that you are definitely one of Jesus' followers is enough. And that means no amount of people looking at you and saying, look, what a model Christian is enough. The only way you can know for sure is to hear it from the Lord himself. So if you want to know today, you've got to hear it from the Lord himself. And the reason I say all that is because the Lord offers today in the text we're going to read a test 
by which you can get his answer, a test by which you can look and see what does he have to say? Where does he draw the line between a true believer and someone who has deceived himself? If you want to look at that with me, open your Bibles to the book of James, and we're going to start at chapter 1, verse 22. Now, if you don't have a Bible, grab the black pew Bible in front of you, or it might be dark blue in front of you. Start at the back and flip to page 177. You'll find it there. We're going to be reading James 1, 22 to verse 27, and we're going to be looking there to see whether we have deceived ourselves into thinking we're following Jesus or whether the Lord has indeed done a work in our hearts. Here's what he says. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So there is the difference, James says. Followers of Jesus do what Jesus says. Those who have deceived themselves into thinking they are followers of Jesus do not do what Jesus says. Now, before we go any further, I want to stop and I want to explain what this word is that he's mentioning here. He says to be doers of the word in verse 22. And then later on in verse 25, he calls the same thing the perfect law of liberty. And last week we read verse 21 where he calls it the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see those phrases there. Those are just phrases that refer to what we call the good news or the gospel. And that is simply the very good news that we can be saved from death and hell by faith in Jesus Christ. It's one way to put it. If you place your trust in him, he will save you. Why will he do that? Well, because he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice on a cross to pay. So salvation then is by grace through faith, as Paul says it. Anyone who will come to Jesus and throw themselves at his mercy and say, I trust you, save me, can be saved. That's the good news. Uh, but here's where people can trip on that sometimes. Trusting Jesus is a full package deal. And he teaches a lot of things. He doesn't just teach the gospel. He teaches many other things as well. He teaches a whole way of life. In fact, he's the resurrected Lord who rose from the dead and created the earth. And so if you trust him enough to save you, if you trust him with your life, that means you trust him with your lifestyle as well. That means you're willing to say, your words have authority. You rose from the dead. You saved me from my sins. Your ways are good ways. And so I'm willing to follow you as well. You can't take one without the other. You can't trust him in one way and not trust him in another way. That's not trusting. That's not faith. And so faith will come out of you and be expressed in you by the things that you do. And that's why we can teach at the same time that salvation is by by grace through faith, but 
If the Lord gives you faith, if you have faith and trust him, you will show that by doing what he says. And that's why he says things like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's John 14, 4. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or he says, we read some of this earlier, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. But many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I've read the ending already. He will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why would he do that when they had done great things for him? Well, because they didn't do the word. They didn't do what he said. And if you trust in Jesus, you will do what he says. Elsewhere, Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, do not be deceived. There's that concept of being deceived again. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, he says, were some of you. Why would he say, don't be deceived, people who do this stuff won't inherit the kingdom of God if salvation is by grace through faith? Well, because if you have faith in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you'll trust him enough to stop doing those things. So people who still continue in those acts are showing that they don't fully trust him. Christians come from all sorts of backgrounds, some of them from gang life, some of them from drunkenness, some of them from alternative sexual lifestyles, from all sorts of things. They come to Jesus, and they place their trust in him, and they learn of his ways, and they say, now that doesn't seem right to me. That command of yours, Jesus, whatever it is, you're talking about something that I don't want to give up, but I trust you. And if I trust you, I trust you. And so I will give up this thing that I need to give up. I will do this thing that I need to do. That is all coming from a place of trust in him. That's why we sing, by faith, the prophets saw a day when the long for a Messiah went in here. By faith, we did this. By faith, we did that. Because from our faith and our trust in him come good works and come great works. So your faith in Jesus will show itself by your obedience to Jesus. Or to use his terms, hearing and receiving the word leads to doing the word. That's how James puts it. But he's writing this today because it is so easy to deceive yourself. It is so easy to think that because there was a moment in the past when you trusted in him that you are good forever. Because you came down an aisle at one point, you are good for the rest of your life. Because you were baptized once, you are good. And James says, no, no, those who trust in Jesus spend the rest of their lives doing what he says. They're slowly repenting of every sin they've got and they're walking more and more in Christ-likeness. Don't be deceived. And it's so easy, in fact, to be deceived. It's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that you're following Jesus, that James gives us then three concrete examples of what that might look like. And so if the test, if the am I really following Jesus test is answered by the question, well, do you do his word or not? You could think of that test having three questions on it, three concrete examples James gives us here. The first question on the test is, has the Lord given you control over your tongue? And that's in verse 26. Let's look at it together. 
It says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. Do you see the, the question on the test there? If you, if you think you're religious, but you don't have a bridle on your tongue, you've, you've deceived yourself. Your religion isn't worthwhile. Isn't wor- why isn't it worth anything? Because worthwhile religion would have changed the way that you talk. If Jesus was really in your life, changing your life, he would have changed the way that you talk. Now, last week's verses hit that very heavily, and it's picked up again here as a theme Uh, So I won't spend a ton of time on it because we talked about it so much last week. But ask yourself, has the Lord given me control over my tongue? That's the first question on the test. If you want to know whether you're really following or not, there's question one. Has God given you control over your tongue? The second question on the am I a doer of the word or have I deceived myself test is, do I care for the helpless? And that one is in verse 27. It says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. The word for visit there means to take care of. And he singles out widows and orphans because those were the two most helpless groups in that day. They had no way to provide for themselves, and they had lost the people who would be providing for them, so they were completely helpless. And what Christians were doing in that era was they were going after those two groups and saying, let us take care of you. Let us care for you. They had built up this whole structure, you can remember in the book of Acts in chapter 6, that did nothing but care for the widows and distribute food daily to the widows because there was no other way the widows would have been fed. Throughout history, Christians have done this. They have sought out the people who couldn't take care of themselves, the people who were helpless. They found them and said, let us help you. We will help you. It's the kind of thing that Christians do. And so Jesus even says, he tells this parable of the coming day of judgment when he takes the sheep and the goats and he separates them, right? Some of you know the story and you remember it. He separates the sheep who followed him on one side and the goats who were just pretending to follow him on the other side. And he says, this is what it says, is that the king will say to them on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Are thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers, even the least of them, you did it to me. So the mark between the true Christians who are really following him and the ones who are just pretending is one of those marks is the ones who are really following Jesus are looking after the least of these, finding the, the helpless ones who cannot help themselves and doing whatever they can to help. And that love for the helpless is just something Jesus' followers do. They go into prisons and they start Bible studies. They gather up orphans into their arms and foster them or adopt them. They write cards to widows. They're in the hospital as a visitor when they're not there as a patient. They look for ways to help the homeless and they ask those really hard questions about how to do that well. They open up their homes to abuse victims. They join disaster relief teams. All kinds of stuff that Christians still to this day are doing and were marked by them. And so you've got to stop and ask yourself, does any of that stuff sound like me? Is that the kind of stuff that I do? 
I don't know anyone who does all of those things, and I don't think the Lord expects anyone to do all of them. But someone who follows Jesus should do enough of those things that they're marked by them, that they can look at their life and see a clear theme of helping those who are in need. And so then the third question on the test, the am I a doer of the word or have I deceived myself test. That question is, have I kept myself unstained from the sin that surrounds me? There's sin all around. Have you kept yourself pure from it? The rest of that verse 27 we read a minute ago, it said, Pure and undefiled religion and the sight of God our Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress, which we just talked about, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The one who follows Jesus will walk through a world of immorality and somehow find a way to not get himself stained by it. The one who follows Jesus might work in an office, and I'm sure there are offices like this around Greenwood, might work in an office where lying and cheating to get ahead are the norm. A lot of workplaces like that, right? And the one who follows the Lord will work there and somehow manage to find a way to keep himself or keep herself from being stained by that, from doing the very same things and just saying, Lord, I'm going to have to trust you with my career because everyone around me is lying and cheating and it's only a matter of time before one of them takes me down. I don't know how I can get ahead and how I can make enough to provide for my family, but I am going to tell the truth and I am not going to cheat people. And just walking in and out of that office every day without becoming stained by the world that is around them. A man who is following Jesus will walk up and down the Greenwood Park Mall right across the street, and he'll see those larger-than-life posters that are outside the Victoria's Secret. You know which posters I'm talking about? You can't miss them when you walk by them. He will see those posters that are of models that are designed to allure him into sin and sitting and, sitting and standing in poses that are designed to allure him, wearing clothes designed to allure him and draw his eyes in and draw his heart in. A man who loves the Lord will walk by those and manage not to get himself stained by them. Right? Posters like that are a stain on our culture, and they're all over the place. They're on billboards, they're on TV, they're, they're everywhere. You can't participate in our culture without seeing that. But the man who fears God will see that and will either avert his eyes or just avoid that corner of the mall or maybe have the strength to look right at it and say, Jesus' ways are better than that. I'm not going to fall to that. A man who loves the Lord will keep himself from being stained by the sin that is around him. That doesn't mean that he doesn't walk through this sinful world. That doesn't mean he's completely withdrawn from the sinful world. That just means that he keeps himself from being stained by it. So that's the test. Have you done the word by keeping control over your tongue, by caring for the needy, and by keeping yourself pure? So put yourself to that test. Look at that mirror of Jesus' teaching and see what it reveals about you. Now the thing about mirrors is they will tell you how beautiful you are and they will tell you how ugly you are, right, at the same time. And sometimes we don't really want to go look in a mirror because of that. Well, James is giving us a picture here of what it looks like when many of us look into teaching like this, and it reflects back to us how we are, and we're convicted for a little bit, and then we walk away and 
forget about it, right? And the Lord might have you right now in a place of conviction, a place that says, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't have control over my time. I love Jesus, but I'm not walking in purity. I'm not caring for the Lord might be convicting you deeply right now. And you might even be kind of, mm, that's a good word, preacher. This is a powerful word from the word right here. It's possible to do that and to feel that and to walk out of here and in a half hour have forgotten about the whole thing. James says that happens. And when we do that, he gives us a picture of what it looks like. He gives us that picture in verse 23 and 24. He says, for any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. He looks into Jesus' ways, and those things, the, that mirror reveals to him that he's not as, as good-looking, so to speak, as he thought he was, right? His hair's messed up or something's out of line with his collar. The, the mirror of Jesus' teachings reveals that to you. And then you walk out of church or you turn off the podcast or you shut the Bible and you forget all about it, right? James says, that's like, that's like if you looked in a mirror and found the nastiest piece of cilantro, like, in between your teeth and did nothing about it. Like, like you're, you're over at On the Border after Sunday church, and me and David Tolles killed some cheese dip a couple weeks ago at On the Border. That stuff is good. You're over there, and you're just killing that cheese dip bowl, and you're loving it, and you, you get up, and you go to the bathroom, you're washing up, and you look in the mirror, and I mean, it's not like a piece of cilantro. Like, they forgot to chop the cilantro today, and so you got like a whole leaf hanging out between your teeth, and you, you notice this in, in the mirror. And James says that's like looking at that and going, Huh, okay. And just walking right back out into the restaurant, right? And, and ignorance is bliss on one hand, right? I guess you're not too worried about it, but the fact that you have forgotten about the massive piece of cilantro in your teeth doesn't mean that it's not there. It's still there. Ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is still ugly. And I know when it comes to our appearance, I mean, if you see yourself in a mirror and you see that your hair is not right, you fix it, right? That's what we all do. Or if you see that your eyeliner is, is running down your face, I don't know how you fix that. I prefer to keep that a mystery. But you do something about it. There's some way that you fix that. I don't know. We know that when it comes to appearance, you do this. And I know it's almost a silly illustration to compare it to cilantro in your teeth. But the truth is, when it comes to our moral lifestyles, James says there are many people who walk out of church with the cilantro in their teeth and aren't doing anything about it. Many people who just walk right out and don't change. They hear the word, they see that they need to change, and they don't just do it. They don't just change. And he's pleading with you here, and I think the Lord is pleading with you. I am certainly pleading with you. If that is you today, if you are convicted of some area that you need to change in your life, do not walk out and forget about it today. Make the change that you need to make and let the Lord bless you in your doing. Listen to what it says happens when we hear these words and we do change. Verse 25 says, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, at the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So Take today's test and walk out and change what you need to change. Wherever the Lord is convicting you, he's saying, come and follow me. Follow me completely. Make the changes you need to make. 
Now, I'll leave you with a story that hopefully will encourage you if you're in that spot of conviction right now, because I've got a friend who has a very similar story, and the kind of people that James is talking about here, he was once that kind of person. Uh, He had grown up in church for his whole life and had heard preaching, you know, like a lot of us have heard preaching for a long time and did the VBS and the Sunday school thing and all those different ways that you learn about the word as a child. And then he went off to college and then suddenly his lifestyle revealed that he really didn't trust Jesus much at all. He started living for himself, no concern for others. He wasn't walking in purity, didn't have a rein on his tongue, and it was just evident that his faith was not placed in Jesus. And he kept this kind of loose relationship with the church through that time. And one night he actually led someone to Christ. Uh, despite the state that he was in, and he explained it to me, and he said, the Lord, later that night, the Lord just convicted me. And it's like I can hear him saying, you led that young man to follow me, and you don't follow me. And thank the Lord, he did not look in the mirror that night and walk away and forget what he looked like. Instead, he changed his ways. He began to follow Jesus. He's married now. He's faithful to his wife. He's a leader in his church now, all because the Lord spoke to him like that, and he chose to respond and receive the word completely. So if that is you right now, don't think that you are beyond hope. The Lord is speaking to you and convicting you because he longs to see you change. He wants to see you come fully and completely to him. Let's pray together.